Hey, everybody, this is Pastor Luke McDonald, and this is the Good News in the Neighborhood podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. You're going to find two things in this feed in this season. You're going to find Sunday sermons from our church in Palatine, Illinois, and you're going to find an occasional little piece of content that is towards our initiative to try to help our church read the Bible more regularly. It's called Good With Our Bibles. We're trying to read the Bible regularly, and we're trying to interpret it accurately. And that's what you're going to find in this feed. We are a multi-ethnic Bible-teaching life-giving church. This is our little theme song that you're hearing in the background. And uh, it helps us, anything you do, rating the podcast, sharing it, all that stuff helps the word get out. We're not trying to build the name of a church. We're trying to build the name of Jesus in our little local community. And if you found this, I hope it's useful to you. Thank you. Let's listen now. If you have a Bible, turn to it in uh, the book of Judges in chapter 3. We started a set of messages last week um, that we're continuing today. This set of messages is called Don't Follow Your Heart. Uh, Don't Follow Your Heart. We're studying through the book of Judges, which is uh, a kind of series of stories about uh, several generations of the nation of Israel a few thousand years ago. And in those stories, we uh, see what happens when I just follow after what I'm Feeling what I'm following after in my instincts, what I'm going after when I just kind of go after what I, I want maybe differently than what I need. Uh, the title of the message today, I don't know, we'll, we'll see how this goes, guys. I don't know. But the title of the message today is How to Marry the Right Person and When You Realize You Haven't. So um, we'll just pause for prayer, and if it's just going to be too problematic or convicting, you can just go right now before we finish. No, I'm just teasing. Uh, the book of Judges... Um, has this tie that I noticed as I was studying it, that so much about the way that people live is tied to the person that they end up with. And you see when you say something like that, people look at you kind of skeptically and people nodding along and people reaching over and hugging the person next to them and people elbowing the person in the ribs like, this is why, you see, this is the problem we have is because I got mixed up with you. All those different things uh, are happening, and that's okay. But I just want to show you a few things. So if you have a Bible, I hope you'll be there Judges in chapter 3, I want to show you this. I'm starting in verse 1. This is where we left off last week. It says, now these are the nations that the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is, all in Israel who had not experienced all the wars in Canaan, it was only in order that the generations of the people of Israel might know war to teach war to those who had not known it before. Pause. So uh, as I was growing up, you would often hear people describe how uh, young people today are soft. And one of the reasons or ways that they would express that is, you know, depending on how old you are, they would say, you know, my generation fought in Vietnam or my generation fought in World War II. You know, we have somebody up in the production booth right now, I think, who fought in World War I or maybe the Spanish-American War or whatever the case may be. There's Civil War, I think, War of 1812. We've got them all covered here. The... But there's this sense that people who had to fight have a little stronger something inside than people who don't. So as this chapter is starting, he, the writer is saying, now, God left some people along to test the people who never fought in war because they needed to know what it was like. So now to verse 3, I'm reading, these are the nations, the five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and the Sidonians and the Hivites who lived on Mount Lebanon from Mount Belhermon as far as Lebohamoth. They were for the, there's the key word, testing of Israel to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hands of Moses. God allows difficult things as a test. So the people of Israel 
lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And there, here's the key verse for today, daughters took for themselves, uh, their daughters they took to themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served their gods. So God gives the people of Israel a test. And the test is, are you going to listen to me? Are you going to follow me? I don't know about you. I sometimes feel like I encounter these tests. Uh, last Sunday, if you were here, I, I did a whole spiel about a Girl Scout cookies and, and how I'd fallen into this trap of Girl Scout cookies. And then and I showed up at a different place like 25 miles away yesterday to watch my boys play basketball. And there it was, this table. <laughs> and they were cheaper. And they said that they took whatever the app that you wanted. And they'd, I'd never seen this before. They had like the boxes, like one of each of the bags opened and kind of stacked up. And so you could see. And it was as if the s'more cookies were calling my name. You know, maybe you know what that's like. It's a test. That was the test. The test for the people of Israel is would they obey the commandments of the Lord? And the way that the writer says that they didn't is that they took women who didn't worship God as their wives, they gave their children to people who didn't worship God, uh, God as their spouses, and they served foreign gods. The test was, would you obey the commandments of the Lord? And the evidence that they failed was that they chose to marry and to encourage in their family marriage with people who didn't worship God. Do you see it? I want to say it one more time, and then we're going to move through this whole chapter. The test was, would they obey what God wanted them to do? And the evidence that they had failed was that they chose people who didn't worship God as spouses, encouraged that in their children, and that was how they started to worship other gods. All right, so we're going to come all the way back there at the end. Now we're going to look through a couple of stories in Judges chapter 3. Starting here, um, you see this all over in the scripture. God will not do for us what we are able but not willing to do for ourselves. So God has all the power, doesn't he? God can heal Goliath. He can split the... uh, Heal Goliath. Well, that was bad. He can kill Goliath. He can split the Red Sea. He can... Jesus can be raised from the dead. Jonah can be in the whale. God can do anything. But he is very unlikely to do something for you and for me that we are able but not willing to do for ourselves. You see this here in the story of the book of Judges because these tests are not for God's benefit so that he can tell whether or not Israel is faithful. The test is for Israel so they have an objective instrument to declare to themselves the depths of their infidelity and the justice of God. So the test that God gives to the people is not so that God would know if they could pass the test. The test was so that the people taking the test would know that they failed. They failed because they worshiped idols rather than God. So you may hear that and think, you know, like, what, I mean, what is he talking about? Like, I don't, I don't like, you know, get on my knees, like, in front of some statue. You know, I was at the Bulls game recently, and it's a bit like that, like at that Michael Jordan statue. There's, like, a bit of that kind of like, I don't know, guys. Like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, like, made out of metal. He's, like, a guy, you know, cool. There's a bit of that in our culture, but there isn't very much of that sort of, like, unabashed, uh, I'm, like, praising God. I'm praising like a, an image or a statue. We don't, we don't see a lot of that, I think it's fair to say. But for us and for now, an idol is anything that draws 
the attention, the affection, the resources, the energy that is and is supposed to belong to God. You see that? So, and here's how it works. Idols attract us by offering shortcuts to good desires. The way that an idol traps us is it, so what? I, uh, I want to feel better than I feel right now. Well, if you go down the substance track, that can make you feel better for a little while. It's just that it's not going to make you feel better for the long term, and it's going to hurt you in the end. That's how idols, you, I could give 100 examples, attract us by offering shortcuts to good desires because idols promise something that only God can give us. So I want to feel secure, and I want to feel safe. So I'm going to get that bank account so full that I am secure and I am safe. But who knows what can happen? And all of a sudden, you don't feel so secure. You don't feel so safe. You see, that's how things become idols in our lives. So let me show it to you now. I'm going to show you two stories in Judges chapter 3, starting in verse 7. I think we have these for the screens. We talked about this a little bit last week. The book of Judges has this cycle that people go through, and here it is. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God, and they served the Baals and the Asherah. Those were idols that had with them kind of pagan ceremonies alongside it that included a lot of pretty radical, like Las Vegas-style sexuality. So therefore, because the people served the Baals and the Asherah, therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of a king of Mesopotamia, and the people served there for many years. But when Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel, who saved them, Othniel. The spirit of the Lord was upon him. He judged Israel. He went out to war. So the land had rest 40 years. We talked about this last week. This is the cycle that the people in the book of Judges go through, and you and I go through often. It is this. Uh, you can put it on the screen. Starts at the top. So we fall, into, we fall into sin. Sin is any choice that I make, big or small, that is different than what God desires. Sin always leads to oppression. It costs more than I want to pay. It makes me stay longer than what I want to stay. It's harder to get out of than I think. I think just a little bit, and then who knows? Sin, in its most dramatic and Smaller examples always leads to oppression. What does that mean? It means that I'm put under the power of something else. In the book of Judges, that happens literally. The people sin for long enough, so God allows a pagan king to take them over. And then it gets bad enough that all of a sudden the people fall to their knees and they say, God, what are we doing? How did we get over here? How did things get like this? God, what am I doing? That's repentance. Repentance is a turn. And then because God is kind, right there, instead of saying, I told you so, God sends a person to deliver them from what's broken. Do you see it? And then there is peace. That happens over and over and over and over. What we don't want to do this morning is think about what's happening as I'm talking as some sort of historical thing over there. Like, oh, that's interesting, George Washington. He had wooden teeth. He chopped down a cherry tree. We can start to get our minds like we're listening to history. But everything that's in the Bible, when we understand it, has the power to dramatically help us right here in the here and now. So now oh, there's a short story, and now here's a longer one. This is the story of Ehud. 
So it says that the land had rest 40 years, verse 12, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. It goes over and over and over and over. So the Lord strengthened this guy Eglon. He's the king of Moab. And the people of verse 14 of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud. I'll talk about this again another time, but isn't it funny that the people had to be serving a foreign king for 18 years before they wised up? Have you ever noticed about yourself how long you've got to be down and out before you come to your senses and turn back to God? Like, it's amazing how many people wish they could go back to what things were like when they thought they were at rock bottom. You ever had gone through that where you, like, thought things were as bad as they could get? And then you, like, turned around and you're like, man, I wish I could be back where I, when I thought things couldn't get any worse. After 18 years, it says that the people of Israel, verse 15, cried out to the Lord. The Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud. Verse 16, Ehud made a sword of two edges, a cubit of length. He bounded under his right thigh, and he went to present tribute to the king, uh, Eglon, the king of Moab. Now Eglon, it says, it says in, just in your Bible, Eglon was a very fat man. Do with that what you will. Um, this story is a metaphor and it's using the king as a metaphor for us of what we look like in your sin. So Ehud, he's the guy. E-H-U-D, he's going to help Israel. And it says that he made this little sword. And, well, he went in to talk to the king. And he was like, king, I have a gift for you. He showed up like, you know, those foreign dignitary ceremonies that you see. And then it says in verse 19, he turned back. And he said, hey, king, also, I have a secret message for you. And the king was like, oh, I want to hear it. And then it says, this is in verse 19, all his attendants went out of his presence, and Ehud came as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber, and Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. So then the king arose from his seat, and Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. And then, like, it says that the blade went in. The fat closed over the blade. That was my favorite part when I was a little kid. He couldn't pull the sword out because it was just like the guy's stomach, I guess, just kind of like took. That was my favorite part when I was a kid. You don't seem that interested in that. That's fine. <laughs> when he had gone, verse 24, the servants came and they saw that the doors of the roof chamber were locked. So they thought, surely he's like relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. So you can imagine the servants show up and the doors locked. And they're like, I, I guess he's using the bathroom. And it says that they waited till they were embarrassed. I like that detail. So they were like standing outside waiting for the guy in the bathroom. And they were kind of like, it's like that. Have you ever had that where like when you're on a plane and the door's locked and you're like, I've been standing here for so long waiting for this person to come out of the bathroom. I think I'm actually just going to go back to my seat because I'm going to feel weird looking at them in the eyes. Am I the only person that's ever, has that ever happened to anyone else? Am I the only one? Yeah. I guess that's what was happening. So then it says they took the key and opened it. And there was their Lord, their king, dead on the floor. Okay, what's happening? I'll just get to the end of the story, and then I'll tell you what's happening. So Ehud escaped while they delayed. He passed beyond the idols and escaped. Then the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country. Ehud was now their leader, and he said to them, Follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. And they killed at that time about 10,000 Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men. Not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, 
and the land had rest for 80 years. Uh, The crudeness of the story of Eglon and Ehud is to show us how our sin looks to God. Uh, It can be very tempting for us. This is why people don't like the word sin, frankly. It's very tempting for us to soften the edges of the things that we do in our own minds, in our own words, to try to make ourselves feel better about them rather than to look them in the face for what they actually are. It's like, it's, I can give you a ton of examples, but the one that came to my mind is, uh, if you ever uh, meet somebody who got divorced and maybe they got divorced because they committed adultery and it was this like big thing and their whole life exploded and then they had to start over, almost without fail, they'll be like, I went through a really difficult time. All right. I went through a challenging patch. And they're using language to try to sort of like distance themselves from the reality of what they did and chose. Okay, great. Easy to judge someone else who does that, but you and us, you and me, we do that too. And so the, the crudeness, the, the details about people in the bathroom and people being overweight and the kind of grossness, there's a whole part I didn't even go into that says that the, the reason that people thought he was in the bathroom is because the room smelled like the guy must have been in the bathroom. I didn't know if you could take that at the early service, so I left it out earlier, but I guess now I brought it in, so what was the point? The crudeness of that is supposed to give us a clue. This is what our sin looks like to God. So put that cycle back up on the screen that I was talking about. When you and I are running around making foolish choices, the great God of the universe who made this sunny day does not find it cute. I've said this before, but one of my like struggles as a parent is when the kids do things that are wrong sometimes I find them so funny that I have to like cover my mouth or like turn away because I don't want to laugh and I know I shouldn't laugh that's the way it is with a little kid God doesn't find our sin cute or charming he considers it and experiences it like us spitting in his face he's told us to go one way and we choose to go another way which is why he allows the consequences to come towards us what we see here with Eglon this king is that without God we are Fat and satisfied, gullible and foolish and gross and embarrassing. I know you came to church to be encouraged today. Well, that's great, and you will be encouraged by the end. So the reason why he's pointed out as being large is he's sedentary, uninterested, just kind of... The part of the story that blows my mind is some guy from a country that he's taken over shows up and says, hey, I have a secret message for you. And the king's like, oh, cool. And he just stands up and walks towards him. There is no fight. He's just, I think we have these, gullible and foolish. That's the way you and I are with our sin. We fall right back to it again. Without God, we're We stay stuck in our sin because we refuse to see what God sees in it. So back to where I started then, to this point. How the people of Israel got into this situation is because their daughters, that's the people of Canaan, they took for themselves as wives. So the men of Israel married women who didn't have the faith that they shared. And the their own daughters, they were like, yeah, yeah, come on, you get married to her. It doesn't matter if you don't share a faith. And because of that choice, they served the same gods as the people that they were marrying. 
Okay, a couple things. One, you got to say it every time. This is the Bible condemning interfaith marriage, not the Bible condemning interracial marriage. Interracial marriage is wonderful in the sight of God, not something the Bible ever speaks to in a negative way, but interfaith marriage, it always does. One. Two, the Bible is pointing here to you and me very clearly, very clearly, that the person that you end up with has incredible power in influencing the person that you become. Am I telling the truth? So this is talked about a few times in Deuteronomy first. This is real clear. The Bible just says, don't intermarry. Don't give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons because they're going to, what? You see it. They're, turn away your sons from following me to serve the other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you. This is what God promised would happen. Now we're in Judges a thousand years later and it, a hundred years later, excuse me, and it has happened. Paul brings this back in the New Testament where he says, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers because what partnership does righteousness have with lawlessness or fellowship with light and darkness? When he says unequally yoked, he's picturing uh, two oxen. I know we have a lot of farmers here and uh, I know just a few people from Crystal Lake, not that many. So I know the... It gets a laugh every time, so I'm going to keep doing it until you stop laughing. So there, he's picturing two oxen trying to plow a field. If you have two oxen trying to plow a field, you want them to be of equal strength and speed so that they go straight. He's saying if one person in a marriage has faith and the other person doesn't, it's going to be misweighted. It won't go in a straight line. Um, marriage typically produces a slow alignment of values. You start out as two different people, really different in many cases, and then slowly but surely, this is why, uh, and we have a few people here, I won't mention any names, but uh, have you ever been around one of those couples that's been married for like 50 years and they look alike? <laughs> it's like very confusing. Have you ever noticed that? I think it's because like you get older and you start shopping for glasses at the same place. I think it's like how it starts. But you look at them and you're like, I you could pass for siblings now. How did this, like, I don't understand it, but it's a visual representation of what happens, that slowly but surely, the people become more and more, they start thinking more similarly, talking more similarly, slowly, 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 slowly. And so if uh, you are in a marriage where it is misaligned spiritually, it is extraordinarily challenging not impossible, but extraordinarily challenging for that not to drag you down. And it is extraordinarily difficult for you to pull that other person up. Uh, this is what Peter is talking about this. I did this a lot of order, but I have it there. When he, he says that like, if you find yourself in a relationship like this, the person can be one without a word. This is especially imagining a woman married to a man without faith. The person can be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. The idea being, first, it's extremely challenging, and then second, it requires a ton of faith and a ton of strength and a ton of discipline to keep on living with the faith that you say you believe when the person that you're married to doesn't share it. It's really hard not to get pulled down. Because remember, I said this before, but I wanted to bring it back at the end, idols are tracked us by offering shortcuts to good desires. 
And so there is this temptation out there for people who aren't married yet or aren't married again yet or are doing that, I'm just dating Jesus right now, not interested in ever being married again, which if someone says that to you, just tell yourself, oh, okay, yeah, that's a trick. I won't fall into believing that that's true. Wherever you find yourself in that situation, there is this temptation to think, I'll find somebody that I enjoy being around, and then I'll kind of like pray them into being the person that I want them to be. Okay, that was, yeah, that laugh that I heard there should have told me a lot. Why does this happen? Well, three things. We're almost done now. I appreciate your listening. I know this is a message that has a little bit of strength to it. Sexuality is a primary idol of the human heart. It's why cultures change and people change and affluence changes, but yet in every corner that you find yourself in in the world, sexuality and the search for the fulfillment of sexuality turns people so many crazy different directions. In the age that we're living in today, many people are chasing after another idol that is complementary. It's this vision of having a perfect family which is often expressed in, you know, like we, we take these wonderful pictures together or we go to church and people think that we're so nice. You know, we may have been yelling at each other like on Northwest Highway before we pulled into the parking lot, but we get here and we seem all nice. But many people are searching after a perfect family as though that is God's desire. God's desire is for us to be holy, not to be perfect. And it can become an idol for a lot of people. And for a lot of people who aren't married, especially in church, there is this, it can become an idol to pursue after finding the right person or a good enough person, right? Well, maybe they're not exactly what I was hoping for, but they're here right now, and he has a job and he's breathing. That's better than that last guy I was dating, so we'll just kind of go for it, that thing. These are all and can become very easily idols. I saw in my study this week and from a lot of different conversations that I was having how much pain comes into the lives of people who end up married to someone who doesn't have the faith that they have. And if you are not married yet or now, or again yet or whatever, as simple as it could be from the Bible and this pastor's heart to you, find someone who loves God like you do. Can God bring something beautiful out of a marriage that starts misaligned? Of course he can. He can do anything. Of course he can. But it is really hard and a ton of work. Don't let yourself fall into the trap of thinking we're compatible in every other way, but the spiritual part we'll just have to figure out along the way. It won't work. It won't work. It won't work. It won't work. It probably won't work. And then second, my heart is towards people today who are, you're like, that's cool. Like, where was this 20 years ago? If you're married to someone who doesn't love God like you do, you have to pray like crazy, and you have to refuse to be pulled away from God. It happens in big ways and in small ways. That's what happens here. The people of Israel, they get pulled away from the God that they love, the God that they pay attention to, simply because too many of them ended up married to people who didn't have the same faith that they shared. And you have to say to yourself, all right. And I mean, it happens all the time. There was somebody, they're not here yet this morning, um, but a woman who I pray for often because she writes in the binder every single week. I met this guy in church and now he won't go to church with me anymore. God, will you please help me? And you want to be like, I don't know. Like, 
life is long and people go through very difficult things and my heart is not to be judgmental or harsh. We're right here right now. It's February the something, what is it, 12th? Almost Valentine's Day, I know. I gotta get my act together on that, I know, but we're here right now. And however we got to here right now, I refuse to be pulled away from the God I love by anything or anyone, including if I'm in a marriage that's challenging. All right, I guess my time is gone by the fervency by which they're coming towards the stage. So let's just try to wrap this up right here. Let's just, you guys just get settled. Come on, come on, come on. Come on, get settled. And uh, What we're talking about today is a very vulnerable place for a lot of people. And we don't just want to open that up and then just kind of like let it be a wound. Being in the wrong relationship romantically, even if it never made it to a marriage in some cases, can have traumatic, difficult, challenging, long-term things to get over. It's amazing how often you talk to people and they're still talking about So right now, right here, just gather up into your mind and your heart whatever is true about what we're talking about right now for you. So don't think about your friend who's like going down the wrong path that you're going to send this sermon to or nothing like that. We can do that later. Just right here. I'm thinking about like three people right now. Uh, first, I'm thinking about the person who isn't married right now. Put a stake in the ground put a certainty in front of your life that says, I want to believe in Jesus, and so I want to believe in the book that he wrote. Getting mixed up with someone who doesn't love the God I love is going to hurt me, and instead of finding out the hard way, I'm going to trust him. I could get a line of people around the block to tell you that that's like the best choice you could make, one. Two, I'm thinking about the person who's in marriage right now, and it's, it's mismatched. Maybe it started out that way, maybe it's drifted that way, but you're the person who's kind of like, I really am trying to, I'm trying to get in my Bible, I'm, I'm trying to grow at church, I'm, I'm trying to be the right influence, I, I'm trying, I'm trying, and I'm just, I'm, if I'm honest, if I'm honest, Pastor, the, the, the person next to me is not trying, really. Maybe they say they are, maybe they pretend they are, maybe they, I don't know, you know, there's all the details you can fill in right here. God can do anything in them, and we're going to pray that way. But don't you let yourself get pulled away from the faith that you believe in because the person next to you isn't going the same direction you are. I know it's hard. I'm not saying for one second it isn't hard. But God is with you. And you can make it and you can keep following God even if the person next to you doesn't really seem like they care to. We're going to pray for you in just a second. And then three, I'm thinking, as I'm looking around the room now, I'm thinking of... Uh, we're blessed here to have lots of different people. And some people might be like, I had this and it was awesome. And I'm at the stage in life where I'm probably not getting married again or that person is, is gone. It's just in a different stage of life. And I know that Valentine's Day, I was at the store this morning and I was just like overwhelmed by how much energy our culture puts into this little moment of, about love. And for some people, it's a really lonely thing to cross right over that. There's a, a guy that I know, he's not part of the church here, who lost his wife in the last year, and I saw him yesterday, and I said, how's it going, Bob? And he said, oh, it's about to be a real a year soon, Pastor. I'm having a really hard time. 
I just want to pray for all those people around those ends and trust that God is going to gather up into all of our hearts what he wants to from his word this morning. Would you join me in that prayer? Lord, uh, marriage and relationship and sexuality is your idea, and because it's your idea and you created it, it is wonderful when it is done in your way. And yet, Lord, in our sinful nature, we have just like, we have messed it up in so many different ways. And Lord, I want to pray for all those people that I was just mentioning a moment ago right now. I want to pray for the person. I know there's people here who are in a relationship of some kind that they know is not the thing that you want. And like our text told us this morning is threatening to draw them away from you, Lord. I want to pray that you would give them the wisdom and the strength to get away from it if they know in their heart it's the thing that they need to do. Lord, I want to pray for uh, those who are in a marriage or a relationship where the spiritual part is misaligned, not equal, not. And I want to pray, Lord, for every person trying to follow you and feeling lonely with it, that you would bless them with strength to take the next step and the next step and the next step. And I want to pray that you would do a miracle in their partner that would boggle their mind in your goodness and kindness. And uh, three, I want to pray, Lord, for those who are here right now and they're like, man, I'd give anything to go back to having the person that I used to have that I don't have anymore. I want to pray for every lonely person listening to this sermon right now, Lord, that you would give them a peace that passes understanding, a strength and a calm in your kindness and goodness, that you would be present for them in a way that is so powerful. Lord, we're just bringing what we have to you this morning, and it feels, I'll say I feel a little fragile in trying to bring all this to you, Lord. And we're thanking you for your goodness and kindness, and we're trusting you today. I pray in Jesus' name. If you agree, please say amen. This has been the Good News Neighborhood Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the song. I hope it's been helpful to you. We'll see you again soon. This is good news.